Hi, this is Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. We wanted to start the show by thanking our wonderful patrons for making the show possible. And we have a new patron, Brian Wilson. Thank you for supporting the show. If you can spare a couple bucks to make the show possible, please visit patreon.com slash coach your brains out. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we have no guest and just the four of us, so we're sorry in advance. But our topic today is upgrade your language, a very important topic. But before we do that, I wanted to do a quick debrief of Billy Allen's beach, pro beach season. Billy, you up for that? Yep. Always super happy to talk about my feelings. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's that's what we wanted to hear. So, Billy, to start out, what would you say went well this season? Um, I thought that we really committed. Um, we're trying to qualify for the Olympics, so this season definitely felt like it had more gravity than just a normal season. Um, and we committed to it. We trained more than ever. Stafford quit his real job to focus on volleyball. I made my wife quit her job so she could let me focus on volleyball. Um, we traveled and played more tournaments than I've ever played in. We, I think we competed in 17 tournaments this year, and we have one more coming up in November. Uh, so, yeah, it was the most I've ever spent on volleyball and the most I've ever trained. So I thought committing was great. I think results-wise, we had a few good FIVBs and one okay AVP. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't qualify for the Olympics yet. Oh, hashtag growth mindset. Uh, what are the top two or three lessons that you learned? Um, that anyone can beat anyone. Uh, it's really deep. Actually, on, I was going to say on the FIVB, but also on the AVP. Um, you know, we dropped some a couple times, some first round losses as you know when we were seated pretty high. Um, and I think just going in knowing that it's, every match is going to be tough. Um, I think our our mindset that we learned. At the World Championships was that to talk about this next match is going to be the hardest match of the year and not to overlook anybody. So that was a big one. So preparing the same way no matter who you played. Um, I feel like I felt better when I worked out even on the road rather than kind of totally resting and getting sedentary after my matches. So I just kind of keeping up with that even if it's lifting kind of before or after matches. And then uh, just to have a little more open communication. I think there were sometimes especially we had a, a tough loss in an Orsaka qualifier that we um got some stuff out where I was being a little defensive um with my partner when some of our body language and our language and our frustration I think just getting it out in the open um helped us for the rest of the year so I think that's another thing you kind of touched on it in a way but is there anything you do over if you could do it differently um because it was such a grind playing so many tournaments that there were a few AVPs especially where maybe we were not sure if we were going to play, if we were going to leave early, and we had flights, you know, maybe Saturday night or Sunday night where maybe we didn't give it our complete full attention when we were there. Um, and I think just looking at the past and maybe some, some me in the past and maybe some of the other AVP teams where they were like so fired up to play in the tournament and they were hungry and motivated and uh, maybe we over we like didn't really take advantage of the opportunity and maybe overlooked it a little bit. Um, and it kind of all the tournaments kind of blurred into each other instead of like, Hey, this is our only focus right now and kind of forgetting the the tournament we're going to travel to. Um, I would have liked to do that a little better. And then maybe yelling at Stafford to spike an overpass in Germany, but yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. That would have been good. <laughs> Uh, are you going to be training those off-season plays? Yeah, we're we took a went to Hawaii last week for an EVP and stuck around for a little vacation, and then we're going to start getting back at it again next week. And so, a lot to get better at. Um, one thing I learned is that even when I focused on serving all year, it didn't really get any, feel any easier. <laughs> so, uh, plenty of room to upgrade that and get get better at that, and hopefully play even better, perform better next year than I did this year. 
Well, if you get a better coach, maybe you'll get a better serve. Maybe, so, maybe. Now, we, John coaches this year. I really enjoyed working with him, learned a lot, and hopefully we can keep working together. Billy, is John yeah, a so. better coach or a player? Whew, he was a really good player. I'd, I'd say on the defenders, he was probably the top five when he was playing. And I think as a coach, he's my number one pick for who would want coaching me in beach right now. Man, thanks, Billy. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know I was top five as a player. Sure, you had me. Um, <laughs> who else? Nick was pretty good. Todd. <laughs> is it is it considered false modesty when at one point you were the MVP of the AVP, John? Like, at what point are you going to figure out that you were good? Uh, yeah, I'll look back at the film and see, but I don't, I don't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. Uh, okay, well... Thanks for sharing, Billy. Thanks for filling us in. Uh, looking forward to you and Stafford continuing to to grow. And um, I know you guys are still right in the hunt with the Olympics and excited to see what you guys do and excited to be a part of it. But um, wanted to get into our topic of upgrading your language as a coach. Uh, I got to spend some time with Lorraine Davies, the uh, mindset coach or mindset um, teacher from Australia. She's been on the podcast twice. And spending one day around her, but I got to spend 10 days. But after a day, I, I really realized that uh, how important language is. And, and she's constantly pointing it out. And just how words have so much power and how language has a huge effect on our brain, on relationships, on connection, safety, your sense of belonging, and, uh, and our athlete's voice. And some of the things, I mean, she, she would tell us about, I mean, this is directly from, from Lorraine about... Um, how language in all its forms drives our processes that sets up the brain's responses and it releases neurochemicals. It can release things like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and the really awful cortisol. Um, and things like dopamine, serotonin, ox oxytocin generate the reward response where cortisol generates the threat response. And, and a lot of that is decided by the language we use. And especially as leaders and coaches, we can, um, drive our athletes to go either direction towards that dopamine serotonin or uh, towards the cortisol. So it's, and it's not just our language. It's also the way we say things. It's our verbal and facial responses. Uh, so it's, it's not always just what we say, but it's how we say it. So just reflecting on it and realizing that, you know, our language is shaping our athletes, their ideas of themselves, their social and emotional perception of the world. It just made me realize we, I thought it'd be helpful for us as, as coaches and podcasters to uh, look to make some productive changes, um, not only in like common volleyball lingo, but just common coach lingo. So maybe you guys can help me out. We'll go through them. The first one that really jumped out at me, I think it's kind of low hanging fruit is uh, the whole idea as a, as a beach volleyball player, my whole career, I was told when you're on this side of the court, it's the bad side and the other side of the court, it's the good side. So I'd go out and play volleyball on the bad side of the court. And uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, first, what do you guys think? Um, John, do you want to just explain that a little bit for maybe yeah, some yeah, of yeah, yeah. beach? Good call. Um, yeah, so the bad side is commonly referred to the side where the wind is at your back. So it's more difficult to pass the ball because serves drive through the wind and it'll drop. And it's often more difficult to hit because the set will maybe fly away from you or fly tight. Um, and when you hit the ball, maybe it will sail a little longer. So people will say that's the bad side. So if you're a, a volleyball player and your coach says, all right, we're going to the bad side, how do you guys think that would affect them and, and what would be a more productive way to say it? Yeah, I think you would go in thinking you're already at a disadvantage and maybe you know just kind of surviving on that side rather than thriving. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this, maybe you could say good side and then the wind side, um, just as a way to, even though they're both windy sides, it's just a way to, so it's not such a negative connotation on the one side. Yeah, I think that's right on. Yeah. I mean, being even specific, it's the side wind side and the wind at your backside. So then maybe they can generate a plan. We, we at LMU, we say the good side and the better side. I mean, either side we get to play, play volleyball. So we're stoked and, you know, there's some adjustments we'll w make and there's some, uh, benefits to where the wind is no matter where we are um so yeah, i think it's just about reframing it 
John, what kind of changes did you notice when you made that change? Did you come in with that type of language or did you have to make the the change? Um, no, I, yeah, just made the change, uh, along the way. And, um, yeah, just noticed a little bit more optimism when you're heading on the court and hearing our girls like, all right, we're going to the better side here or, uh, you know, here we're on the good side. This is what we're going to do. It just felt like it became more of an opportunity, uh, versus a, a threat. And I think we'll get into how our language can lead to, to threat states. But yeah, that that's, I mean, the first thing I noticed. So I, I, you you know a little bit more behind the science of this, but is it as simple as that? Like when you change your language from something that seems that arbitrary, where it's the good side and the better side, like your players actually bought into that, or you're not just changing words and your players now know that the good side is the bad side or anything like that? Um, yeah, I don't think it's like that simple where you can just make one small change. I think it's a, um, you know, an, an overall philosophy as we look at challenges as opportunities and the way we we approach them the way we talk about them um and the words we use you know that combination of things then i think leads to yeah the way we we frame things and the way we approach things is their opportunities not threats Um, but that's not like that's anything that's always a constant challenge and any way we can make it um yeah i guess easier to feel like it's a challenge then we should it's a good opportunity to do it um the other one that Lorraine really brought to my attention, and this one was, I think, something I'm really working on now, is uh, this idea of directive statements. So a directive statement is when you just direct someone to do something. So um, actually, when Lorraine was with us, we were saying, all right, go shag the balls when the drill was over. And to uh, Lorraine, shag meant a very different thing um, in Australia, apparently. It's a different word. So she was confused for a little bit at first. <laughs> yeah, she was baby. wondering why we were telling uh, all these college girls to go shag balls. Uh, but once she understood, we were directing them and saying, go clean up your space. Um, she uh, pointed out that when you, anytime you make a directive statement, uh, the, the athlete or a person, their only two options are really to comply. Where it's like, okay, yes, sir, I'll do that. Or to rebel and say you know, no, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and she, you know, just brought up what sort of people are you trying to develop? What sort of athletes do you want people who are, um, yeah, just get really good at compliance or, or really good at uh, rebelling. And if they comply long enough, eventually they're going to rebel. So, you know, started thinking about how often I would tell my athletes, I would direct my athletes, all right, take a slow first step in your approach. And now they can go, okay, I'm in, I'm in robot mode. Yeah, whatever you say, I'll take my slow first step. Or they can go, no, I'm going to do my thing. And I'm not going to take a slow first step. They're going to rebel. So uh, it just really got me thinking, like, how often I'm directing them instead of guiding them or um, creating an opportunity for them to problem solve. Um, So I think there's small changes you can make. And maybe you guys have a couple. But one is instead instead of saying, take a small first step in your approach, I could say, hey, could you make that? that first step smaller on your approach. And now it's a, you know, it becomes a question and it becomes them not saying, yes, sir. They, they could say, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I, I can make a smaller first step. And then all of a sudden there's some autonomy and it's about, it's, it becomes their first step and they, they've chosen to do it and they've taken power over it. I'm sure there's better ways to do that, but that's, I think one simple change, you know, you change one word, it goes from a question to a, a directive. Now, what are your guys thoughts? I'm trying to think of different examples of how to get away from the directive statements when you're coaching them. Mm-hmm. So obviously the way you did it there with like, can you perform whatever action you want? I'm also like, that's the only one that's coming to mind off the top of my head. Other than like, maybe like, what would it be a directive statement if you said like, let's shag the balls or something like that? Is it that simple? Well, <laughs> with the shag the ball specifically, she she said, you know, just say the drill's over. If when we basically when we direct them, you're missing out on opportunities for growth. Instead, like what she was pushing was, okay, you know, the coach says drill's over. And then one of your girls, you know, we had this sophomore girl who took initiative, took some leadership, and she went and started shagging balls on her own. And then it was an opportunity for her to, you know, and we could point out, hey, that took a lot of a lot of uh initiative for you to do that and to 
you know, begin cleaning up our space. And then all of a sudden she has ownership and our girls have ownership over their space. They're deciding what they want to do with it, how they want to clean it up. She, she often said like, they, they wouldn't want me, I'm a 70 year old woman to come, you know, tell them what to do in their room and decorate their room for them. You know, they'd be, you know, they'd feel silly. So like, this is their space. This is their court. Um, let them take ownership of it. Let them decide how they want to clean it up. You know, you can, and then you can, you can point out all the times that they are demonstrating some more soft skills like leadership or initiative or, um, you know, things, things like that cooperation. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but in that situation, um, we were, we were basically taking an opportunity away from them. She felt like, and then for a coach listening, if they want to imply this, uh, use this, if they were to say the drill is over, um, would they just kind of hope a player steps up or is this something you discuss beforehand that like, you know, after drills in order to make the practice move smoother, you know, we can quickly pick stuff up or do you yeah. just kind of wait for them to happen or like stare at the balls awkwardly? <laughs> yeah. We had these same questions and I, I know like this seems like kind of arbitrary, uh, but I think it's just understanding a broader concept. Um, so yeah, what, what we did is, um, we tried that at first. It's like, okay, the drill's over. And they all kind of stared at us and like, okay, <laughs> uh, waiting for us to, you know, boss them around and tell them what to do. So then what we decided was um, before practice at the whiteboard, we, you know, we said, this is your guys' space. Um, you know, here's some scenarios like pre-practice, during practice, post-practice. Uh, what do you guys want to do, um, you know, for setup? How do you want to set up the courts? Um, you know, after the drills over, what's the next steps? And we let them create this list. Um, I forget what we called it exactly, but yeah, it was just their, their guidelines. I think it was their, their guideline list for the tasks during practice. And then we just had a discussion around it and they went back and forth and we all decided, and then, you know, it became, came their room and the, their space instead of, uh, instead of ours. I have concerns that this type of coaching would work with like middle school age kids. Yeah. Um, they pull their cell phones or why? No, I mean, I, 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 I like where she's going and I really like the idea of it and stuff, but also in practicality, I think it's like with a lot of things, like the thing that comes to mind, like guided discovery, obviously guided discovery is a great way to coach and stuff, but there's a lot of shortcuts that you kind of have to take because you don't necessarily as a coach have the amount of time that you would like to spend so many hours with a, with a player guiding them to the right thing. This seems, but it, it ultimately that's, that's kind of what you want to be doing because you want them to be take ownership and autonomy over the things they do. And this seems like a very similar thing where you're, you're almost doing that with a, with a culture and that kind of thing. But I think, and now I'm thinking out loud, so you can edit this down, but I think at least with middle school and maybe even <clears throat> some high school, ages what ends up happening is those kids are are, are basically pre-programmed like they they've been for sure probably getting directive statements all the way up until like you know you, you, up until that point so they don't know necessarily even how to function in a space where they actually have some autonomy so you'd have to like maybe introduce it in a small scale in a certain area like shagging the balls or something like that and then build from there as they got older, but it also sounds like John, you have, you have players that now are more self-aware and able to take autonomy in a situation. So when you give them that freedom, they will actually do it. Whereas I think, you know, it's, it's always that line of where, where can you do this and how do you do it in the reality of, of the lives of these players and what they've experienced, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I'm, you know, I'm still learning about how to do this best. Um, but I do think if it is, if you're not looking to develop athletes to comply or rebel, mm -hmm. um, then you can start to be a part of the change instead of just continuing to go along with it, even if they've been taught that their whole lives. So you have an opportunity to start to create a different space and a different way of going about things. And I think it will be hard and it will be uncomfortable for coaches and you'll probably feel awkward and look bad at times, but I think for me, it's like, all right, here's something that I can get better at. I can be learning and improving, you know, my ability to coach and create a dynamic environment. And, and then, I don't know, I guess they see you like 
challenging yourself and, and learning along the way with them. So I think there's benefits there, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's not, you know, maybe you don't want to make a wholesale change and you just start out like just starting to notice how often you're saying directive statements in practice. So instead of constantly directing them, you know, hit a jump serve. Um, you, you had put a couple up here actually, Nils, that you heard a lot in college. What were they? Uh, well, one of the ones was that I heard all the time was make adjustments. Yeah, make adjustments. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. Instead of, um, you know, giving the athletes some power over it. Um, or noticing when they do. I think that's a big thing is informative statements are a big upgrade from directive, informing them. Like you you just made adjustments there. You're someone who knows how to solve problems. And then you're building some self-efficacy. You're building um, your athletes realizing they do have skills um, to, to figure things out on their own instead of being constantly bossed around. So, yeah, yeah I think it can be a powerful tool. Yeah, and... It gets like John said, it's not easy implementing all this language. We were talking about it uh, in terms of parenting. And it's not like all of a sudden you switch a word up and your kid or everybody's just behaving perfectly. Like it's a long process and you're just trying to create a culture that over the long term is going to be better for the athletes and better for the program. So it's definitely not like a quick change by switching a word up. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, we'll move on from directive, but I think that's something hopefully people can think about and and start to notice. Uh, the next upgrade I had was, uh, I think I hear a lot as people giving feedback that focuses on the past. So one of the common ones is, oh, you're just having a bad day or you're just having a bad match. I'm sure you guys have heard coaches or fellow athletes say that to each other. What, what do you guys think about that one? I hear That's that all the Yeah, I hear that all the time. Fuller, let's yeah, hear it. Uh, Bummer, what do you got for Yeah, Fuller? just just trying to help people move on. And, you know, these, these are the circumstances that we're in right now. And what steps are we taking to to move forward? And, you know, what kind of adjustments can you make? Um, yeah, what else do you guys think about that? For me, the conversation was always if, if a player was talking about having a bad day and they're in the middle of practice, it was trying to get them to realize that they still have half a practice. Uh, you know, maybe their day wasn't that great leading up to this time right now, but after the timeout, they're in control of something that they can do to, to get better or improve. The same thing in a match too. Like they would, you know, oh, I'm just having, they would often, you'd hear that in between sets or something where they would, it sounded like they were, you know, chalking up the whole match when it was just the end of the first set. Yep. Um, yeah. I think what happens a lot is people, Brene Brown says, it's the story you tell yourself. So you create this narrative today's a bad day. And then, you know, it's going to put a, a damper on any future plays because today's just a bad day where, you know, Bernie Holiday talked about, let's go hunt the good stuff. I'm sure there's, I know there's hundreds of things you're doing really well in this supposed bad day. And a lot of the times on those bad days, you go back and watch film and you're like, oh, wow, I did that well. I did that well. I did that well. But because of the story you had been telling yourself, uh, you're just noticing the, the negative and the more you you create that narrative, then it's harder to get out of it and just go like, okay, here's one play and here's one opportunity to make a play. And that last play didn't go as well as I wanted, but that has nothing to do with my day or this match. The The next yeah. one I have that I hear a lot, so you guys think is, and I hear it on the beach, like even like AVP Pro saying, you know, don't miss your serve, I just miss mine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it's it's not really useful information because it's not like it affects anyone's desire about making the serve. It's not like, oh, well, you made your serve, so I'm off the hook now. <laughs> I don't, I'm not really interested in making my serve because you made yours. Yeah, it, I think it just it's irrelevant information. If you're going to be more focused because the person before you missed, that's probably a problem with your perception. Right. <laughs> you should go back there with full focus. Yep. I mean, and probably this, more useful dialogue is like, hey, last time I served to their line, this is what happened. Maybe let's serve to their seam and see if this creates a different scenario. Well, I know like I, I, I had there was a lot of talk on this when I was um, at at the UCLA when I was volunteering there with Andrea Becker. She talked a lot about this, about the idea of not allowing the game, especially when it came to serving, like you go back and hit your best serve no matter what, no matter the situation, no matter what was going on before. So if 10 guys had missed before you, 
it was your job to go back there and still go and hit your best serve. Um, and it was, it was a lot of talk on that, on how to just make sure that you're going through your routine and doing it regardless of what was going on. Because what, what happened is if guys missed like two or three serves before them, they wanted to, they wanted to, you know, take some off or just make it in or something. And at the end of the day, after they crunched the numbers, they were like, that's not what's going to help us win at the highest percentage. You guys have to go back there and hit your best serve regardless of the situation. So you have to just move on from whatever was going on. And there was a lot of talk about that exact idea. Um, so yeah, yep. you weren't ever allowed to say that in that gym, but it was interesting. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I think there's, there's a lot of them. There's like, you know, earn one back from you here. We, I gave up a point. I think there's all sorts of these things referencing the past mm-hmm. that we, we can notice. And I think the more the, the talk can be about what can we do now and what's a productive thing that's going to help us, then the better. The other one uh, you have here, Nils, is my bad. Oh, yeah. It took So this one took me a while. I had a little bit of a journey with that one because this one came up when I was playing, um, when I was actually Hugh McCutcheon brought this up and I remember him talking about it and it was, it was, apparently it was a very American thing at the time. I don't know if it's moved on, but he was saying how much he hated it. Uh, and we basically said we weren't allowed to use that word anymore, that phrase anymore. And it took me a long time to figure out, or at least in my opinion, what was going on. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about where one, you're referencing the past past. So you're giving useless information. And then also what's happening when you say my bad, there's a lot of different dynamics that could happen. One, it might not have been your bad, or if it was your bad, everybody knows. If you miss a serve, everybody knows that you missed a serve. You don't need to bring attention to it. Um, so, the, so what's, do you have sorry. an upgrade, Billy? Yeah, I just think, I remember hearing Karch talk, about, he missed a dig and they had the mic in the timeout and he was just like, I'm getting that next one. I'm getting it next time. I'll get the next one. And so it's forward thinking. You're putting yourself in a more aggressive, like I'm going to get this one than like dwelling on the last play. Yeah. So, cause this is, so I have a, a question for you guys. Cause this is what I gave my players and it's just what I came up with. So I don't necessarily know if this is best. So if there's an upgrade here, tell me, I would tell my players to then try to think about something that they could actually do for the next one. A perfect example is like if, um, if a hitter got blocked or something, I would have the digger or the back row guys to make sure that say, Hey, okay, I'm going to make sure that I'm available for your cover. We want you to swing away and we're going to cover you and we're going to be there for it. Um, because covering especially is one of those things like you're in control of it. You know what I mean? Whereas like the next dig you might not be in control of. So for me, it was like, if you're going to say, Oh, I'm going to hit my next serve. Well, you're not, on hundred percent control of that. You can say, I'm going to focus really in, I'm going to go through my routine. I'm going to do all these things that I know are going to have missed success, but I, you're, you can't say like, Oh, I'll hit my next serve in because that would then probably go back there and not hit your best serve. Um, so trying to tell the players or, or put something within your control, I'm going to stand in the right spot on defense. I'm going to be stopped and balanced on defense. I'm going to do something that I can actually control. And that's what you're going to tell your players to get you to move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's also just such an outward expression of pretty poor self-talk and I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Um, and just trying to bring awareness first and foremost to, holy shit i'm saying that to myself like that is that is so unproductive and then you know having some wherewithal to to move on and and adapt it yeah and i think that's a big point andrew is that a lot of this is about awareness and a -hmm. lot of these things are things we've all said and until you really spend some time being being thoughtful about it and noticing it it's hard to make the change so Mm -hmm. you know we don't want this to come off as like judging like you're saying this you know you idiot coach but more that you know these are mistakes we've made Um, hopefully you can now notice them and and look at ways to upgrade your language that was part one of our conversation on upgrading your language join us next week for more hi this is coach your brains out by gold medal squared before we start the show we wanted to plug our book if you haven't read coach your brains out uh, check it out lots of great stuff hopefully it's a good reference for you this year and the many seasons to come you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, Kobo, local library possibly. And if you'd like to order in bulk, you can contact us at coachyourbrainsout at gmail.com for discounts. This is part two of our episode on upgrading language.
Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. The next topic I had was a kind of a pessimistic viewpoint. And there's a couple, even just like common volleyball language, like people will say broken play, uh, out of system, even like manage the play. You guys think of better ways to talk about those sorts of situations? I've enjoyed um, our assistant coach, Louise Bodden, who is Australian, coincidentally. Um, she talks about organi- organization of the play and, and mm-hmm. just getting organized. And I, I like that instead of like managing, I don't know, that, that seems a little bit different. It's like, all right, let's just let's get reorganized and, and then, then we have a, a good shot. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel good when you're in a broken play. Well, I guess <laughs> <laughs> you're right. what are we, we going to do? Yeah, well, or even I've, like, yeah. I've heard uh, like red, yellow, and green light situations. That's for hitters. Mm. Um, That's more a specific. Lot of, yeah, a lot of that ends up being just like awareness. Like once you once you bring awareness to the to what the hitter is actually doing, if you're taking a green light swing in a red light situation, the percentages are going to be not in your favor. Um, so just kind of you know, and if you're in a green light situation and and you're just trying to free ball it over you know, it's a problem too. So that usually just comes out of uh, a necessity to have awareness of what the hitter is actually doing. Do you guys, do you see red light as being too negative? Like what's the difference between a broken play and a red light play? You just catch the ball if it's a red light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a red light play, yeah, I'd be, if you guys have, a better one i'd be interested red light is usually i mean if you're in a red light situation that's usually like a free ball you're free balling it over uh and we'll talk about upgrading language in that too but if you you know and so if you're in a, in a situation that requires like a free ball or a mean ball and you're trying to jump and absolutely blast it okay that's probably an issue but i don't know if there's a better way to say red light do you have a better idea billy uh, yeah, you would use um, green light, gold light, platinum light. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond light. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, you know, maybe it's just getting too pedantic, but the, the goal is to bring awareness to their timing. You know, mm-hmm. you're the setter's balance, so you want to be on this step. The setter's off balance, so you want to, you know, start your approach a little later. And so it's just finding a way to bring that awareness to your players in a way where it doesn't feel like the play's broken or you're, you know, um, in a ton of trouble. It's just, we're going to make a small adjustment. So I don't know if I have a great idea. I mean, I like, I wrote, you know, challenging opportunity, (laughs) but I'm sure there's something better. It's a cool conversation because like how much of volleyball is actually unbroken (laughs) or like really organized or really manageable. It's mostly chaotic and, and real and wild and, yeah. Well, I think it's it's important to to point out too that a lot of the language that we use oftentimes is shortcuts to get the feedback to the players or, or other people. You know what I mean? Like I talk a lot about that with uh, when I'm coaching players. Is it's almost it's almost impossible to get away, or at least I haven't been able to find a shorter way to say like good, bad. Like when they're talking about technical feedback where, you know, I've done change repeat. I try to do that as much as possible. Um, but a lot of times the the language as you try to do this kind of stuff can get really clunky, um, unless you find easier shortcuts, you know what I mean? Like change repeat works really well, but every once in a while, the player, like just saying good, bad kind of says the same, you know, if it's good, that's what you're used to hearing. So what I mean is repeat try to translate that in your head that kind of stuff yeah i know that's what we don't want clunky ones we want them to be short i, I like it's, sorry i like what andrew said about wild like the idea of we're in the wild here on like an out of system play instead of like you're in this perfect clean zoo opportunity you're back to like the jungle tiger like mm-hmm. hit, hitting out of the wild mm-hmm. well, it's either wild or it's clinical Sounds like uh, we we can keep uh, workshopping this one. Yep, the, the other one. 
<laughs> whiteboard. Yeah. I want to go to an LMU practice and then a Stanford practice and just take notes on the language. We'd love to have you. But yeah, if people want to, you know, send them in, please let us know how you can upgrade it. The other one I'll hear a lot is we need a perfect pass. First, the idea of need is, um, you know, we need water, we need oxygen, we need house, a house over our head or shelter. So just adding, you know, that sort of pressure, uh, I don't think has a lot of benefits. Uh, but the other one is the word perfect. And I think perfectionism is, um, you know, not something we want to create uh, in our athletes. So um, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect pass. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, the simple ways are, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's pass forward, let's pass in system. Um, but yeah, that's just seems like a small one. We can, we can change. Um, the next ones I have are, uh, volleyball upgrades. So we were talking about some of these with, uh, I think Stafford, we're trying to think it's, it's funny to think about some of the volleyball lingo lingo that's just always been there and we don't know why, even when we were talking about like side out, like, what is that? Why did that even start side? The hell out? does that mean? <laughs> yeah. But, um, the one, one that jumped out was float serve. Um, when I think of the float serves we hit, they're really tough. They're really hard to pass. But when I think of the word float, it just seems I like, a, of, a like bubble, a bubble like going. It just seems really easy. Yeah, like a tachikara being served from like 40 feet off the baseline with a, a, with a fist. Yeah, and I think that's what it was at one point. It was just this like high loopy thing. And now it's become, you know, this especially the, I think both the men and women's game, it's become a real weapon. So I was trying to think, what could we do to get a better name? You guys have any ideas? Jump knuckle. The jump knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unnecessary. Floats great. Okay. The uh, the one that, that gold, medal, gold medal squared use, obviously Nils doesn't teach tough serving. Uh, they say fleen, a fleen serve. So a fleen serve is flat. And it's clean. It has no spin on it. So we, we really, we don't talk about float serves. We hit fleen serves. Um, but yeah, it's a small, again, it's, maybe it's pedantic, but it's, um, you know, we care about the little things. Uh, Billy, you want to do the, we had a, one from a patron. Yeah. Uh, Joshua James said he's gotten a lot of mileage out of, instead of saying toss, when you comes to tossing your uh, the ball to serve he felt like the players were tossing pretty high and maybe with some spin and he got um, just changing that to place your serve or place the ball um, it seemed like they're doing cleaner and more consistent tosses so just making that little chain of place the ball some of his players weren't launching it up like they were if they were tossing it i love that i used that today with one of our athletes and, and she really enjoyed it too and it toss feels like wild and all willy-nilly like you're just kind of recklessly tossing and I thought that was a great change. And then we have the the famous uh, free ball, where we're you know giving them the other side something free. And I think Nils already referenced it. John Kessel says, you know, we talk about we don't give free balls, we give mean balls. So we're always trying to make it mean, make it tough on the other side. Is that where that came from? Was that John Kessel? Yeah, that's where I heard it first. Okay, I'm gonna just say that it, that's where it came from because I don't know where I got that from, but that it must have been him. And then Billy had another patron. Yeah, Nick Enriquez uh, said his team um, is very motivated by food. And so they started calling overpasses free food. Um, it just kind of got his hungry middles to start terminating some balls. <laughs> it's a creative twist. Uh, another one we had was uh, High Line. So the High Line seems, I don't know, just sounds a little loopy and slow. And we don't actually want it to be that high. Um, so we came up with flat line, but maybe there's something better. But yeah, I think when you watch really good line shots, they're really flat and like right over the block and they're hard to run down as a defender. Billy hits a flat line shot. Maybe it's like a fly, kind of Ooh. like your fleeing ball, fly line. A flying. Uh, there's a couple others like dink and tip. There's just gotta be something better than dink. <laughs> it's so bad it's bad yeah it's so bad <laughs> it's hard to be tough when you're hitting dinks and cutties and pokies <laughs> yeah yeah you're not gonna get all like jumbo's gotta with stay jumbo's not going anywhere we That's actually added stay. in um we added in the you know when a 
it's in, on, on the beach when someone pulls and you hit it over like over the line we call that a limbo like a line <laughs> a line jumbo hmm. yeah a line jumbo because it and it kind of looks like they're limboing underneath it yeah 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 especially college beach there's uh, so much pulling and that that deep line shot was effective and it feels like when you don't have a name for it you can't it's not really it does it's not a shot yet so we it had doesn't name. exist yeah it doesn't exist so once you name it then it's a real thing um we also added a clap shot so it was a mix of like a slap hit and a cut shot so we mm. call it a, a clap shot um so that yeah. could be that, i don't know that's getting a little dicey <laughs> maybe in your mind slice uh yeah maybe there's something better uh is there an on two one? Baby. What'd you have on two, Andrew? Oh yeah, yeah. If the fruit is ripe, have a bite. If it is rotten, let the on two be forgotten. Hmm. It's a longer word for it, but um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you pass it a couple time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, these were these were a few that, that came to mind when I was thinking about uh, my player. So, like, just uh, the first one was using yes and uh, versus yes but. Um, this, wow, this the old improv here. tool. Yes. Well, it, it, I think it, it helped a lot with um, the guided discovery, you know what I mean? Because as you're asking questions, if it was constantly shutting them down, saying, yeah, but, but, or no, or something like that, kind of trying to guide them in a way that's, Yes, and there's other things that you could be doing or, or thinking about, or there's another direction you could go. Uh, just helps them keep keeps them engaged, I think. Just and and realizing again, bringing awareness to how many times you say yes, but or when you use that word, what I was told is everything you say before that word basically gets erased. So if you come in with a player and you're like, hey, great job on this, this looked fantastic, but and then you give them some feedback, basically whatever positive thing that you just tried to help them with completely got erased and they moved on to what they've done incorrect. So just changing nice. it to a yes and tends to help. Um, and then I think the next one I used for a while, my pastors were passing it really tight and I was having a lot of conversations with them, trying to get them to understand that. I mean, we're talking like 50, 50 balls. Our setter couldn't set it. She was always netting. Uh, and so after a while, instead of just bringing attention to the fact that it was a tight pass, I just started saying there's hot lava. Uh, I put a piece of tape, like I think it was about a foot and a half or two feet off the net. And um, the setter was not allowed to have both feet in that area. And if she was, I just said hot lava. And they started hating that term, but they understood immediately that that was a tight pass and that we weren't going to be able to play any rallies during uh, if they did that. Same kind of thing that you did, John, just if you give it a name and it's kind of fun, maybe they buy into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it brings more, it brings awareness and that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, the uh, one that I, I still use to this day a lot is, uh, the idea of aiming small when you give players an area to serve. So that's a whole part of, um, the coaching serving that I do. Like if we give them area one, okay. Yeah. I want you to probably hit the player in area one, but it's up to you to make sure that you're actually aiming for, a very specific small area on that player or on the ground. Cause it's very often that players will just be like, Oh, area one and go and miss it by five or six feet. It's like how, you know, there's 30 square feet of area one. How are, how are you missing that? And uh, if you say, okay, well hit her left knee pad, hit the right foot. It just helps them kind of focus in on a small area and they tend to, it used to be uh, aim small, miss small from Braveheart. And uh, then, Patriot. Yeah, it was Patriot. Are you sh really? Yeah. They didn't shoot, oh, shoot any guns in Braveheart. This is so awkward. I have been blowing oh, that no. for a very long time. No Gibson. Either mm. way, it's the same thing. Okay. Anyway, so uh, it used to be aim small, miss small. And then I realized some time ago that I, I probably don't want to be putting miss into their into their vernacular when they're thinking about serving. Hmm. Good upgrade. Upgrade right there. Great to be... Yeah, be uh, have a really small target. Yeah. Um, the last couple I, ha I have is um, some shaming words, and this is another one I've learned from Lorraine, and she talked about basically eliminating the word "should," and I, I notice a lot I do it. Um, so one that one example I think we use in lots of situations is you should have scored that point, 
So, yeah, it just brings shame to them. Oh, I should have done that. I'm a bad player, bad person. Uh, and it doesn't lend itself to any sort of uh, way to improve it in the future. So uh, an upgrade would be you could have scored that point by um, I don't know, reading the hitter's shoulder or you know by doing this. So could doesn't bring shame, and it also can lead to a conversation about how you can um, score the next point. Um, and then the the last one, and she used this, Lorraine used this with, um, she did a parenting night with us, with, with Billy and uh, some of our friends. And she said it for our kids, but also, you know, you can use it with athletes. Your athlete isn't giving you a hard time. Your athlete is having a hard time. Um, so I think a lot of times we see it as they're doing it to make our lives worse, or they're doing something to make us look bad, where the reality is, is, there's something that we can do um, to hopefully help them because they're having a hard time with something. They're acting up and they're not, they're not being themselves. And so we have an opportunity to, to coach them up and to teach them up. Um, so that's, a, you know, again, it's a one word change, but it's a big uh, shift in perspective from giving me a hard time to having a hard time. Now, you know, your players that... might be giving you a hard time though, John. I was going to say, now Something you know that all, all this year uh, I was having a lot of hard times. Billy had a lot of hard times, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Billy actually was giving me a hard time sometimes. Huh? So. For sure. Cool. It's cool to think about some of the small changes that seem small, but maybe over the course of a season can really have an impact on our teams. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot more. I hope people will uh, listen and send us ideas and, and give us ways how we could be better. I would love to see a huge Reddit page of, <laughs> of volleyball terminology upgrades. I like how Andrew didn't use it a directive statement by telling our listeners to come up with a bunch, but he just said he'd love to see it. Maybe it happens. In, yeah. Nice, Andrew. And then this kind of has to do with language, but with, you know, growth mindset is being thrown around a lot and for good reason, um, but a lot of times it's not used as, it, as well as it could be. And Lorraine sent us an article. The quote was from Marshall's men's soccer head coach. And his quote was, we tell our team that in everything they do, they should have a growth mindset and strive to be the best. If there's an award to win, win it. And she was just kind of highlighting this as an example of, well, one, a mixed message in a lot of ways, and then also how maybe we get some of the idea of a growth mindset wrong, especially when we say, one, they should have it. She says it's a belief that you can improve, not it's something that you need to do. It's never about being the best, but it's about, you know, being your best and being better than you were the year before and improving. Yeah, the, obviously the part about winning awards, every award you can um, versus developing and improving. And Lorraine's quote is, this is why I say to teachers, coaches, to never say to athletes, students, just have a growth mindset. It reveals a lack of understanding. If I was worried about struggling to perfect a skill I was working on, being told just to have a growth mindset not only wouldn't help at all, but worse, it would contribute to me feeling a perception that uh, the coach doesn't understand. Yeah, and I think this is really common. You know, you you read the uh, you read about Dweck's work, and you find out oh, when people have a growth mindset, they succeed, uh, you know, at a higher level. So okay, yeah, I just got to tell people to do it. Just have a growth mindset. And, you know, why aren't they doing it? Why aren't they having a growth mindset about things? Uh, we know it works. We know it's going to help. And, yeah, it just, it just shows the lack of understanding. And I, I think I've been guilty of it. And Lorraine's helped a lot that, um, you know, all of us have growth and fixed mindsets in different situations. And as coaches, it's about us modeling it and living it and teaching it and um, pointing out times when they, they do. Um, but, yeah, us just saying, like, yeah, you've got to have – you should have a growth mindset is not – uh, moving the needle at all probably the favorite part of our coach your brains out book was that section lorraine had about growth mindset and it was it's not about being good but about getting better it's not about proving but about improving it's not about demonstrating but about developing skills not about performing better than others but better than i did in the past that's a great language upgrade thanks to lorraine and uh, yeah that's in the book I hope people have, if they haven't read it, uh, there's a lot on language, a lot on informative statements and some of the feedback we dove into today. I think we did it. What did we miss, guys? Probably a lot. Kills. 
<laughs> Kills. Oh, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be really cool to get a, like just a giant glossary of of upgrades in language. Um, there's just so many. There's so much weird language in volleyball when you really think about it. Yeah. I hope this starts like the conversation. Truly bizarre. Yeah. Stuff. So we, instead of six pack, should we say got hit in the face really hard? <laughs> I like six pack. <laughs> there needs to be like a repository where people can just submit. What's and, nice? Uh, what's nice is when you're creative and come up with stuff on your own. Then when you're yelling it off the bench, um, the other team has no idea what you're signaling towards. Oh, For yeah. sure. No, I, I think there's some, something to that. No, I, I think like having your team's language, like that's just part of building culture. Like this is, the, you know, the way we do things, the way we say things, like this is us. And if someone comes into our practice, like it's uniquely us. And that's like, it, the language is a big way to do that. And spending time being thoughtful about what you say is a way to develop your language. Just like when you go to a different country, they have their, their culture and their language. And uh, I think, I like the idea of each team developing theirs. Can you talk about um, what you learned of the Pirates as far as what they call positions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Pirates had... Um, I got to spend uh, like four days with the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, at their rookie camp. And um, one simple one was, you know, instead of catcher, which catcher, you know, it seems like such a passive position. And what they called them was the backbones. The backbones is like, yeah, we are, you know, we're the, we're the, not the heart, but I guess we're the, uh, the foundation of the team. And I could see how you take a lot of pride being the backbone. I love versus that. A more passive catcher. Yeah. So, um, they had a lot of, I mean, their, their language was very, uh, thoughtful and, um, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that with them. I could, we could do a whole podcast on the pirates. What, uh, what would you call the libero then? What would be an upgrade for that position? Karch, Karch calls them the bros. The bros is kind of cool. Bros, bros. Um, yeah, what's better? I'm. Sh- I bet. Let's let's start the Reddit, Andrew. Let's go through all the positions, all the the, the miners, because they do names. <laughs> the <miners>. <laughs> <laughs> they have gold diggers. All right, this is getting off the rails. Right. I think we did it. <laughs>